Welcome to the Spectrum Lounge Podcast, where we discuss creatives of color disrupting the game in TV, film, and pop culture. I am your host, Rebecca Theodore Vachon, and on this episode, we speak with director Gina Prince-Bythewood about her latest project, the hit Netflix original film, The Old Guard, starring Charlize Theron and Kiki Lane. Take a listen. Welcome to the Spectrum Lounge, Gina. Good to finally be here. <laughs> so congratulations on the old guard. I think um, I was looking because, uh, you know, Netflix has their top 10 movies. I think you guys were like in number one for like almost two weeks and you guys are, are still in the top 10. What what has it been like to kind of see like the reactions and, and the success of the old guard? Uh I mean, it, it's been surreal. Not not gonna lie. When mm-hmm. they, you know, we had a call after that first weekend where they let you know how you're doing, and actually, you know what? They were hitting me up all all weekend. Actually, and <laughs> it it was it was pretty stunning. And you know, given seriously, my whole career, every movie I've made, I've been told, yeah, you don't get foreign distribution because. Our films don't travel. Our characters don't travel. And how disheartening that is because, you know, you want your work to be seen by everyone. And um, so now to have this film drop in 190 countries and, wow. you know, for that whole first weekend and week, we were the number one film uh, basically in the world like that. Mm-hmm. I can't. You know, you can't wrap your head around that, but it's it's amazing and most amazing because of just these characters that we put into the world and these heroes, you know, I've, I've said often, but it's true, everybody deserves to see themselves as a hero. And that's one of the things I love so much about this film and what Greg Rucka, who, you know, wrote the graphic novel and and wrote the script, like it, it you know, it was all baked in and, and really drew me to the material. So you know, the fact that these unique heroes are out into the world is, is really special to me. Right. Uh, you know, there's, um, I, when I think about the, the old guard and the opening scene, um, there's no spoilers here. We know that the characters are in Moto, but there's an opening line from Charlize Car- uh, Theron's character um, where she says, um, I've been here before. The same question over and over again, is this it? Will this time be the one? And I'm just so tired of it. And I was watching this again. So I watched it for the, for the third time. And when I thought about what she said, I was like, you could easily apply that to kind of like your career. Like you've been here 20 years <laughs> as a Black woman director and they've tried to, but you keep coming back. I mean, did you have any, did you feel like any connection to the to the theme of immortality of this idea of like dying and and coming back to life over again as a black woman director in Hollywood? <laughs> um, honestly, the the theme that the the two themes that connected me the most to this was um, about finding your purpose. That was a really big connective for me, and then also, you know, this thing of we have a we have a finite finite amount of time on this earth so what are you going to do with your time and the hope is that you do something good um so like that's you know that's what i feel you know that that my career has been in in being able to know so early in my life that i knew i was a storyteller 
And I'm so fortunate that I had that epiphany so early on because then everything I did from that moment on was giving myself the opportunity to do that. Um, but also knowing my purpose and at a time in my life, losing my sense of purpose of why I was here. Um, but then again, reconnecting and, and it really is that sense of purpose that drives me, that keeps me in the fight that of course I get tired, but the difference between, you know, me and Andy is, um, the fatigue is more of the stuff I have to deal with, but I'm never fatigued, um, in the fight. Right. Um, so we know you've, you've made history as the first Black woman director to helm a comic book adaptation of this size on screen. Um, how did you kind of keep your the weight of that in, from interfering in your work where it's like, OK, let me let me not have this burden and just kind of do the work? How did how were you able to do that? Yeah, it's it is there every day. Every day it's there when you're when you're on a project like this. It's just, it's really big. And uh, there's so much money involved. There's so many people involved. And it's your job as a director to keep it going, to keep everyone inspired, to keep everyone on the same page and realizing my vision. And um, it's a lot. And then on top of that, it's my internal fear of failure, but it's even greater when you're one of the few that get the opportunity because you want to keep that door open for, for those coming behind you. And, and that is a real thing. And, um, it, it really was, uh, just amazing advice from, from Ryan Johnson who, and I had asked him the same question when he was on star Wars and because how do you not get just sunk <laughs> by, right. by the bigness of it? And he said, it does not matter how much money you have. You have to focus on the story first and telling a good story. And I, I literally reminded myself of that every single day, because when you focus on that, on something that, yeah, I know how to do that, mm -hmm. then all the other stuff is just, you start thinking of it as, oh, I got more money. It just means more toys, more time, and the ability to really expand your imagination and, and kind of whatever you envision you can do and uh so then it, it that part of it be, it makes it fun right well i'm so glad you you mentioned rian johnson because i remember years back when um beyond the lights came out like he was like he was such a huge advocate of that movie. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Rian Johnson. And just to see him, you know, talk so lovingly about the Beyond the Lights, it, it just made me so happy. And, if, you know, there's there's this rarity in Hollywood where you don't, it's very rare to see like a white male director champion Black mm -hmm. women directors like that. Like what, how important has his um, friendship and his professional advice uh, been to you since, since you, the two of you have met? Okay, it's, it was really a beautiful thing. That's how we met because he shouted beyond the lights out on Twitter and I reached out to him and then we just formed this really cool friendship. And, you know, so often we see and hear these stories of, you know, essentially, you know, white men helping each other in this industry. Oh, I saw their short film or, Oh, I saw their first film. And then I recommended them to Spielberg and, you know, and now he's doing, you know, Jurassic Park, you know, it, mm -hmm. see it all the time. We don't see it for us because so few of us are in, in that world. So for Ryan to 
just recognize the work um, and champion the work was, it meant a lot. Absolutely meant a lot. And in the way that he has always been there as a resource where I could call him at any time to ask questions. Um, but also in the industry of, of him being a champion in terms of, you know, in talking to the gatekeepers, it's, you know, it's been really, it's been really good. And another one, Patty Jenkins, super, super helpful to me um, mm. when I got this. And we sat down a couple times before I started shooting just to get that advice, uh, the technical, the craft of it, um, but also the personal thing of being a woman in this, you know, environment and navigating that as well. And in doing a film like this, it's 63 days of shooting. I was overseas nine and a half months. It's wow. a lot. So, and it's much different than doing Beyond the Lights, 33 days, you mm -hmm. know, so what is the difference and how do you, how do you survive that? And so just really great advice and really good, again, to be able to call someone and then be so open to share their experience with you to make yours a little less difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, now I know you said in interviews that you're you're a huge fan of action movies. Like, which um, were there specific movies that you watched in order to prepare for filming Old Guard? And and were there any? I, I think I saw a couple, but I wanted to ask you: Are there any homages in the Old Guard to any specific movie scenes or, or action films that 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 you've loved? Um, I mean, uh, a lot. It's whatever film I do. Um, whatever genre it is, I go into a deep dive yes. and, you know, absolutely watch everything. When I did Beyond the Lights, probably <laughs> watched every single, you know, music film, Love and Basketball, watched every, you know, sports film that was out there. And, you know, for this, it, it was the same thing. Let me watch a ton of action films because you see what you like and you see what you don't like. Um, but also it, it's great to see people who have done it on this level, taken um, what you can learn from it. And then as a director, then it's about how do you bring your aesthetic to it? But certainly the, you know, the bar for me was the, the um, bathroom fight in MI6. That is oh. just a perfect fight scene, a perfect mm -hmm. fight scene. Um, and so, you know, that was on a loop when I talked to my, my incredible stunt team and, um, and, and talking to Terry Shropshire, my editor and, and Tammy Riker and DP and, um, like that was our bar, but, um, zero dark 30 was a, was a big template for me, um, in terms of wanting to bring the realism of, of both Niall as a Marine, but also the old guard as real world mercenaries, um, man on fire was an emotional, action template for me. Um, just the depth of relationship and, and family and, and love within that story, um, despite the heightened environment I wanted to bring to this. The Raid, 100% watched oh. that movie a couple yeah. times. And uh, just the action is so smart and creative and visceral and never, never felt like a celebration of violence. And that was a big thing and a big part of my pitch for this film that I would be unapologetic about the violence, but it would never feel like a celebration of violence. Um, there's a movie, Long Bok Two, uh, that I watched that was really, uh, really helpful. Um, and then Hero, the Grandmaster, 
another couple films uh, that I watched. And again, it may not be everything about that film that, or maybe totally different style, but there's always something that you can pick up um, from watching those that have done it before. Right. Um, so tell me about like, cause I know for a lot of people that I talk to who love the old guard, um, they love the, for- the fight choreography. Um, tell mm-hmm. me about putting that, that, that crew together as far as like the stunt coordinators and um, the actors, how long they had to train um, before, before shooting. Mm-hmm. So it really, it's, it starts with the vision and, and, what kind of action you want. And for me, this, this film, I wanted it to feel grounded and real. And so that had to permeate everything and, and absolutely the action. I wanted the fights to feel grounded and real, even despite the fact that there is this fantastical conceit of immortality, but also there are times that they're fighting with archaic weapons and how can we make that feel believable against modern weaponry? So those were, you know, really the great conversations that I had with my incredible stunt team, Jeff Haberstad, Danny Hernandez, who designed the fights and Bryson counts Um, an incredible team. So, so smart and creative and passionate. Also super important, (laughs) super respectful um, because I did absolutely hear horror stories um, about, you know, the second unit and, and stunt teams trying to, you know, kind of go rogue or, or, you know, not listen. And these, these guys were the absolute opposite. And I do feel like I have an advantage in that I've been an athlete my whole life. Mm. You know, I kickbox for two years. I know what good fighting looks like. I know what it feels like. Um, so I was able to talk to them on that level really early on, um, which made them understand, oh, she knows what she's talking about. And two, my vision was so specific about what I wanted that um, they were able to really hone in on that. And, um, and so it, it starts with the story. What is the story of each fight? And I wanted each set piece to have a different feel. And you do that by giving each one a different story. And how how is it driving the characters? What What is it revealing about characters? So, you know, a, a great example is a plane fight um, yes. where, you know, it's, these two characters in a confined space. Nile is really pissed off. She's completely freaked out. She was just shot in the head. Uh, she doesn't like this woman. She's been kidnapped. She wants to get free. Um, right. And Andy has this new immortal, doesn't want her, but she's here in the world. So let's, let me test her. Let me see what she's about. What does she have? Um, what is she going to add to the team? So in having that dynamic, and then what are their fighting styles? Because you want a you want a difference because that makes fights more interesting. And for Niall, she's a Marine, so she learned a specific type of martial arts that they teach you in Marines. Um, Andy knows every single fighting style known to man um, because she's seen everything. So to be able to put those two things up against each other um, was really fun. And then designing so that you see the frustration of Niall build and build and build because she can't even land a shot you know, <laughs> on, on this woman. And, but finally she just throws out her, her um, military training and just starts, you know, just throwing haymakers, just trying to land. And she gets that shot in and it surprises Andy, but it gives Niall her swagger back for a moment. And Niall thinks that she's got her, but then Andy switches 
And when she grabs her face, that was just such a, a big moment for me in the fight because I did. I love the disrespect of it, you know. <laughs> uh, and um, you know, but the thing is, Niall keeps coming. It says right. so much about her character. She's getting rocked. She keeps coming because her arm broke. Keeps coming, and uh, it says it says so much to the audience about who she is, but also to Andy. Um, so that it's it's fun to tell the story, and that helped Kiki as well. Um, given this was one, this was her first action scene she'd ever shot, and this is um, this was the first scene in the film that we shot the plane fight. Um, right. So it, that can be overwhelming and scary, um, despite the fact that you know they trained for months, and Kiki trained. She had two a days, five days a week for a couple months, and it incorporated everything, not just the fight choreography, but she had never done this before. So she had to start with boxing training because there's two tells for women Mm -hmm. (laughs) in action or any, any type of athletic thing, you got to throw a punch and you got to be able to run. Those two things will kill a scene in a, in a heartbeat if they can't do those things. So had Kiki with a boxing trainer to get, to get her punches right. I put her with a running coach to make sure that she could look good running. Um, she did weight training to build up her body and strength and stamina for the level of training she had to do, but also to build up a body of a Marine. Um, and then you're doing the choreography. And, uh, and she was also doing weapons training. And she was doing tactical training. So she would just know how to move. It's not enough that you go to a shooting range you got to, how do you reload a weapon and look like you've been doing it for years? How do you pick up a weapon? How do you hold a weapon? How do you pull a weapon? Like all these things had to become second nature so that when we're shooting in the moment, she's not thinking about it. She's just being Nile. And again, that took months, but she put in the time, she put in the effort and um, thank God that's, that's what you want. An actor that is willing to do everything it takes to, to embody a character. Um, and, and she certainly did and, and brought it to that plane fight. And I feel absolutely you believe her. It's not, it can't just be about choreography and audience has to believe the intention <laughs> behind a punch and a kick. And when mm-hmm. she, when she swings on her, I believe it. Right. Wait, I was, I was so happy to see Kiki in this movie because I mean, I'm a, I'm an action film junkie. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for me, it's just, it's always been frustrating where it's like, at least when you look at the history of Hollywood, like you could count the number of black women in like badass kick, you know, in action, in action roles. I think the last one I saw was like Halle Berry and John Wick three, like she just blew me away. Like she mm-hmm. was so fantastic. And I was like, but why can't we get more of this, you know? Um, but I know that um, with Kiki, I know that uh, you came across her through Barry Jenkins. Um, mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about um, that, just mm-hmm. that casting and, and how Barry brought her to you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I just, I want to touch on something you said, and it's it's an absolute frustration why we are not in more action films. Mm-hmm. Because, of course, well, foremost, as I said, everyone deserves to see themselves as a hero. Like, the what it would do for us and for the world to see ourselves as heroes more in the same way that, you know, little white boys get to grow up and see themselves heroic in a thousand different ways. 
that absolutely influences who you think you can be um, and who you are. And we need that. We need that. And the world needs to see us like that. And we are dope. (laughs) There are so many Mm -hmm. dope actors out there who deserve, you know, the shot. And and we've always only had one. We've had Hallie, you know, a storm. And, um, and then, as you said, just in John Wick, thank God, gosh, for, you know, Black Panther, who, who gave us a few more. And, and I, I hate that I'm probably missing one or two more, but the fact that we can literally count them all on maybe one hand, maybe mm-hmm. we add a couple fingers. Um, but yeah, Kiki, um, when I was casting for Nile, I, I did see a lot of really great actresses, um, but I didn't find Nile yet. And it's, it's a guttural thing for me with casting. I just know. Um, and so I was starting to get a little nervous because mm-hmm. I hadn't found her yet. And Barry invited me to an early cut of Beale Street. And I remember sitting in the theater watching and so excited because I was like, who is that? Like, it's always exciting to see a new one, you know? And uh, she was really, really good. But I said to myself, damn, she's so good but she could never be now because she's just so soft, like Tish, you know, <laughs> so, so soft. Um, but uh, she came into audition and literally, literally five seconds, I was like, oh my God. Mm. And then I just kept getting more and more excited. Her audition scene was uh, the scene where she gets shot in the head and she played the realness of it. She didn't play the fantastical part of it, played the realness. I got shot in the head and I came back to life. Like it was, it was just a visceral thing. And I, I believed her and her chops were next level, which was really exemplified by the fact that again, the last time I saw her was as Tish. And now she's just rocking this totally different vibe She'd had that innate strength where I believed her as a Marine, believed her as this warrior, but also that beautiful vulnerability that she has that makes us an, as an audience care about her. And so that, that, those two or those three things just, I was so hyped and uh, she finished. And then my, you know, I knew I still had to share her audition with Skydance and uh, with Greg Rucka, but I knew, I knew that it was Nile and that was just screaming in my head as I sat down and had a conversation with her after and, you know, talked to her about, look, you haven't done action before and it is really, really hard. The amount of work you are going to have to put in. Um, but she said, I will do absolutely anything to embody this character to, to in the right way and honor Nile and honor female Marines. And I believed her and, she stepped up, but you know, my first call after the uh, after showing her to Skydance, and they got it right away. And Greg Rucka got it right away. I called Barry um, because one of my other things is I want to make sure that you've got that work ethic, that you're a good person. You know, it's 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 just I, I need that. And uh, called him up, and he's like, "Yeah, she's a real deal." And she will she will bust her ass and kill herself to to uh, you know be great, mm-hmm. and uh, and she's a cool <laughs> she's a cool person. 
So that's that's what I needed to hear. And again, I love that we can do that. We can call each other up and share information and, and you know, really help elevate, um, you know, different people within our, our business um, that deserve to be elevated. Right. Um, and I did want to ask you, because that was one of the things that I, that I loved about Olgar was the relationship with Joe and Nikki. Because, um, you know, we've, we've had like, you know, like on Marvel and DC, I mean, not to diss them or anything, but, you know, like they there's this representation of like, oh, this character is queer. And it, there's something called queer baiting, right? Where it's like, they usually say something after the fact, like, oh yeah, by the way, they're a lesbian or, but you, but you never really see it on scene. It's just on yeah. screen. You're just like, really? They were queer. Okay. But, but I really loved in the old guard that you really committed to Joe and Nikki, um, you know, Maren Kanzari and Luca Marinelli, they, they're, they're just making me swoon. It was just really beautiful to see these two men loving each other and just so open with it like that scene in the truck where he was just that was just like that's that has to be my wedding vow and all of us were just like it was just so beautiful can you tell us about you know just really working on 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 committing to keeping that mm -hmm. queer representation in the old guard okay it was it was in the script and i just i love the script so much and i love that it kept surprising me and i love that i kept seeing things that we hadn't seen before in the genre and Nikki and Joe were certainly um, characters that I hadn't seen. And they were just dope characters. And I was excited about it. And it's interesting, you know, props to Greg Rucka when, you know, when he went out with this and there were a number of suitors that, that wanted it, he made Skydance promise that they would not cut that scene in the armored car. Um, and they, and they said, yes. And, you know, when I heard that, I was like, you don't have to worry. Like, <laughs> this is one of the reasons I'm here. I want, I want to film that speech. Um, so, um, when it came time to cast, you know, I wanted to approach it in, in the same way that I do any love story. And, and, you know, I need to know that the characters, the actors have a crackle and if they have that crackle and it, you can't, you can't fake it. It's either there or it's not. But if the crackle is there, then through rehearsal and all that, then I can build it into a fire. And, you know, so it started with Marwan. I knew I wanted Marwan as Joe. I had seen this independent film called Wolf that he did where he played a kickboxer. And, um, and it was a, I mean, a really great performance. And um, he and I had a conversation. He was supposed to read for the role. Um, he and I spoke and via FaceTime. I think he was in Thailand shooting a film. So it was really late for him and really early for me, but it was the best, not the, but one of the best phone calls I've ever had with an actor ever. He was mm -hmm. so passionate about the character, so passionate about the story, so passionate about that speech and what it meant and, and how he saw these two characters that after this amount of time, after a thousand years, that it it's past love and it's just soul. Um, and he just got it. And at the end of the phone call, you know, I said, you don't need to read like you're your joke. <laughs> um, so now I had to find Nikki and we had auditions and I saw this tape of Luca and I was just so enamored immediately because of his eyes. Like his eyes are so soulful 
and he just has a depth to him and an innate warmth. And so I had him fly in for a chemistry read with Marwan. And um, I had Greg write just a short scene that I wanted for a jump off point, And then I would let them just go. And can there, you know, there's just been some really great moments in my career in terms of casting. And that was one of them. It was absolute magic in the room. These two men had never met and they clicked immediately and so organically fed off each other. And when it just moved into improv, they just knew these characters and knew the relationship and I believed them. And it, I, it was, it was really beautiful. Um, and they both felt it, which was amazing. You know, Luca left and Marwan, he just looked at me. He said, I won't have to work to make this work. And, uh, <laughs> that was, you know, that was such a cool thing to say. And, and so it was, it was just undeniable that it was these two. So um, it was really great. And I'll just tell you one funny thing is uh, this is how connected they were. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I was, I wanted initially my thought for the look of Joe was a shorter cut. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he was literally sitting in the chair and then Luca comes running in uh, <laughs> to, you know, the hair and makeup with the graphic novel in his hand. Yeah. And he's like, listen, this is Joe, the curls, the, you know, the hair, this is, you know, this is Joe. And, and he started telling how important the hair was to Joe's character and to their relationship. And I was, I was like, wow, <laughs> um, <laughs> I wasn't a hundred percent, but he was so passionate about it. And Marwan was hearing him and, and Marwan, you know, believed him. And so I said, you know what, you know, Marwan, how do you feel? And he said, you know what, let's, let's keep it. And thank God. It yeah. was the absolute right thing. I love, I love his hair and, and the, <laughs> I love his look. And that was Luca. Luca did that. That's great. Yeah, and um, you know, it, the thing that I loved about them too is that I, now I'll admit, when I was watching the movie, I kind of had like my heart in my throat because you know when you have these movies with you know queer couples in love, there's something called fridging, right? Where usually they'll kill Fridging? off. Yeah, it's called fridging. Yeah, it's, it started off in comic books where basically you you kill off a, usually a, a, a minority character, either a person of color or a queer person to sort of like advance the storyline of usually a white person or a hetero person. Um, wow. And so I was kind of afraid. I was like, oh, my God, they're so beautiful. Please don't kill them. Like, I was so afraid. But I was like, no, this is Gina. Gina's not going to do us dirty like that. She would not do a movie like that. So it was just really beautiful to see that they made it to the end like their love was intact they were intact and I, and I just thought that was that was so great you know wow I didn't yeah. I didn't know that but that's that's deep to hear and uh yeah, yeah there's no <laughs> way I was gonna do that nor was Greg and it's funny also because in terms of Niles character I did say to myself there's gonna be some people who watch this and when Niall gets her throat cut they're gonna be like oh damn you know why are you killing <laughs> you know the black character so early, but I was hoping that people would trust me that I, I wouldn't go out like that. Right, right. Like with, with Nell's character, I did have a conversation with someone and they said that, you know, just like the image of Niall dying, like her broken body and then coming back to life. Like I know like in, in the time right now, we're in these mm-hmm. very 
charged political times, particularly with Black women, and this idea that Black women don't feel pain or that they don't, mm-hmm. sort of like, like they're mules, you know what I mean? Like they're just workhorses and they they fight for the cause. And, you know, it's sort of like the strong Black woman trope. And, mm-hmm. um, but I, I, I do, I mean, I, I can talk to you about that, but I did feel that when I watched Old Guard, I did feel like there was a consciousness that with with Nile every time she came back there were consequences to that it wasn't like she just jumped up and was like mm-hmm. oh, okay I'm fine um but I wanted to talk to you was there like a certain sensitivity in in how you want to portray those scenes with with Nile with her mm-hmm. being injured or, or being hurt mm-hmm. yeah I mean that that everything you said is absolutely true it, it's so interesting because you know, for so long, that's been the compliment that we can handle anything and everything. And honestly, it feels like we have, but people only see that and they don't see the pain and the cost of that. Um, and the reality that black women really are the most unprotected. Uh, and, uh, you know, so you have to be conscious of that in your work. Um, you know, and that was something that was really important for Kiki and I, that in creating this quote unquote badass character, we never wanted to lose a vulnerability because for me, that is what badass is. It is having courage and, and strength, um, but it's also having vulnerability and empathy. And so we wanted to make sure that Nile had all of that. We wanted to make sure, um, and what I found most notable about the conceit of this film is despite the immortality, they feel pain. And mm. not just physical pain, but emotional pain. Um, and also that there is a toll on their existence, on the fact that they have to kill. They kill one to save many, but that's not easy. And I wanted them to feel that and, and you know, really express that, um, which I felt is not often expressed in films like this. People usually kill and and then keep it, keep it moving. Um, but there's gotta be, there is a cost to that in real life. And I wanted all that into these characters. Right. So uh, just final question. I mean, well now with Olga, can we finally just like kill this argument that women cannot direct action movies? <laughs> I'm like, you know what I mean? Cause I mean, now we just found out last week that you, you signed on to direct the woman King with Viola mm-hmm. Davis and I'm so excited. I was just like, cause we, I think they had announced the movie two years ago um, yeah. with Viola and Lupita, I believe. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, do you, like going forward, I mean, do you feel more confident after this, this experience at Old Guard? Um, do you feel more confident taking on this project or any other future projects that, that may be action oriented? Oh, a hundred percent. It's like, I, I always felt that I could do it and would be able to do it. I mean, even with Love and Basketball, I mean, is it, you know, big shoot 'em up? No, but the basketball like that is action. How do you believably tell a story through physicality um, and make it feel real and authentic? And, you know, and it, honestly, it's the same as a love scene, you know? How do you make a love scene feel real and authentic and have a story to it? And so really bringing that mentality to action and, and, Again, understanding also it's putting a great team around you um, who can help you realize your vision. And um, all those things that I learned, in addition to having a true passion for it, um, yeah, it gave it gave me absolute confidence. And I, I really feel like everything I've done, including the old guard, 
has now put me in a space where I can do the woman king and and do it the right way and you know give us our brave heart and and do a film you know on on that level so um but yeah there's an absolute beautiful feeling now that I'm on this other side of it that I I did it um and I also proved to others one that I could do it but women can do it and black women can do it and I'm excited you know Victoria Mahoney second unit on star Wars. I mean, come on. And mm-hmm. I know that she's, she's going to be one of the next that's um, in this action space. Um, and, you know, there's others that have, have the desire. And so the key is that, you know, people a- are able to match that desire with opportunity. Right. Well, thank you so much for speaking with me, Gina. Thank you so of much. <laughs> and congratulations yeah, on the old guards. Are, are, can we expect the old guard too? Are there any? I know it's it's kind of quick, but <laughs> so we're, we're, already, we're already waiting for a sequel. We're like, we want to know more. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's, of course, incredibly flattering because it means uh, that we did our job, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, Greg always envisioned this as a trilogy. You know, it's his stories, his characters. Mm-hmm. He knows where it goes. He's told me and it's it's pretty great so you know if there's enough desire um by the audience which there certainly seems to be um you know i'm excited for greg to get cracking on on the next script great well thank you so much for listening to the spectrum lounge and we'll see you on the other side